0: God's feast. That God has a feast that he's giving, um, and he's inviting everybody to be a part of it. And I don't know if we think about God that way. I don't know if we think about him as, the, as a generous host who's throwing a feast, but I think that's exactly what God is like. A God who invites us to step into what we were meant to step into. Um, another way that maybe we could say it is God who invites us to come home. In so many ways, we're looking for home, we're looking to be settled, we're looking to be okay, um, and God has made us. He knows us, um, and he's inviting us to a, a, a life and a life abundant, you might remember Jesus said something about that, um, that he designed us to be a part of, to In that, and so my, one of my, my biggest fears was dealing with this thing tonight, so I'm, I apologize. I'm good with everything else, but I knew that this would give me trouble, um, so. I want, to, uh, I want to talk about that tonight, and I want to paint the picture coming from Isaiah 55 um, is the picture um, even of the good news of the gospel. So I would, if it's okay, I want to start with Jesus, if that's all right with everybody. I'm assuming that's okay. It is okay. I got one person that's okay with that. Um, and so when Jesus burst onto the scene, he came preaching the gospel, and we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's correct. We are preaching the gospel hopefully I tonight will preach the good news of Jesus Christ but when he came preaching he he came preaching the of the kingdom of God so the good news of the kingdom of God Um, and so it's synonymous the king spoiler alert the king of the kingdom is Jesus and so we don't get the kingdom without Jesus Um, but when he came he came describing that the kingdom of God is here it's arrived among you the kingdom of God is with you and so the kingdom of God, we could go on a long, long time on the kingdom of God, but basically um, it's enough to say that the kingdom of God is God's presence here and now where what he wants to be done is done. And whether we know it or not, we want what God wants to be done to be done. We want it. You might not know you want it, but you do want it. And it, our world wants it without even knowing God. And we see the brokenness, that we see war, we see uh, strife, we see murders, we see suicides, these are effects of God's kingdom not in these places where God and his love and his mercy and his joy and his peace is not present. And so what God invites us all into is a feast of his presence of joy, of delight um, and, uh, and to be home with him. To be accepted. To be secure. To be completely okay. And, uh, and, and I think for all of us, we would all say, that sounds good. In fact, I'll take that. If, if that's happening, I'll have it. Um, but I want to talk about one thing first, before I read the first two chapters of Isaiah 55. Um, and, in the, and what I want to talk about is repentance. And so I want, I want you all to recognize, when I say the word repentance, what comes to mind when you hear that. Is it warm, fuzzy emotions when you hear the word repentance? I get a mental image of like a turtle sucking back into its shell when you pick it up really quickly, like, let's not talk about that. Um, So when we think about repentance, um, what I hope we can get into tonight, what I hope I can show is that the, the word that would come to mind for us is hope. That maybe even better than that, the emotion that would come to mind for us the feelings that would rise up in us is hope. Because when, when God calls us to repentance, when we look at that, he's calling us to life and life abundant. He's calling us to good things. We just might not see it yet. We might not know it yet. So real quick on, on repentance, I think part of the issue is that we, we've lost a good meaning of what even that word means. We've lost what, what is God talking about when he's talking about repentance? And repentance simply means a change of mind. It simply means changing your mind. It simply means you've got new information, you've seen something that you didn't see before or got about, and you're recognizing it, and you're changing your course of action due to this new information. So even in... Um, even in the New Testament, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia. In a definition given of metanoia, when Jesus came preaching the kingdom, he said, if y'all remember, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand, it's near. So repent, that metanoia, or definition is a change of mind, of a purpose formed, or of something done, and a determination to enter upon a better course of life. A change of mind, of a purpose formed or something done, and a determination to enter upon a better course of life. Simply a recognition of a better way in the failure or insufficiency of the way I have chosen. So who just like a simple and insufficient example is if someone had just discovered chocolate chip cookies, and I love chocolate chip cookies. If you don't love chocolate chip cookies, it's not okay. And there's prayer afterwards, and it's fine. But I love them. But if someone came up to me and said, you've got to try this. And I was like, well, I know, I know what that is. And they take me to Subway. No offense against Subway. You might like their chocolate chip. But if you take me to Subway and you give me their chocolate I would be like, we need to go to a place called Milk and Cookies. It's, um, it's called Tiny's Milk and Cookies. They, they make a chocolate chip cookie that you need to try, and then if they trusted me, if they said, I don't, I don't see how it could get better than a stale Subway cookie, it's not possible. This is the best thing I've ever eaten. If they trusted me, and they went on a little journey to me with me, and we had a milk and cookies, Tiny's milk and cookies chocolate, they would, they would repent <laughs> for the good news of Tiny's milk and cookies, chocolate chip cookies is here, it's at hand. I'm going to change my course of action. I will no longer take people to Subway to eat a chocolate chip cookie. That's a bad idea. Another way that I've heard before that's helpful to me is when, uh, when we didn't have electricity. There was, at some point, power lines that got brought into our country. And before that, people lived in a certain way of life. They didn't have electricity. It wasn't there. They had to repent for the power of electricity was now near them. And they could access it, they could find it, they could go into it, and they could go do it. so with all of that wonderful introduction, i 'd like to read the first two verses um, of isaiah fifty five If you are't, neither am I, so i 'm going to turn <coughs> so isaiah fifty five and I realized after I started this that I probably had enough to go on just verses 1 and 2, but I decided to do 9 verses, and that's a rookie mistake, but we're going to learn from it. Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Who says no to that? All that sounds really good to me. I, uh, I don't know at what point in those first two verses where we would look at God and we would say, I'm not, I'm not interested. That doesn't sound what I'm looking at. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going my own way. We, we all should choose this. So, so why don't we? What's the deal? What's going on? Whether we have never accepted Jesus before, whether we, we've never stepped into the kingdom of God, trusted Jesus, put our faith in him to forgive us of our sins, or we have and we've forgotten. We've forgotten what it's like to live life with God we've shifted into doing things for God, or we've shifted into just living our lives and not expecting much from God, especially not what's described in verses 1 and 2. Wine and milk without money and without price. What is good? Delight yourself in rich food. I think the catch is the step is always repentance. The step to to, to have more of God and a deeper experience of his presence in our life, his filling of his spirit, which he longs to give us, is always that we would recognize that we will always abide in something. We human beings don't exist in a vacuum. We were made to have desires. We were made to have affections. And so when we, when God presents this to us, we aren't just leaving from a place of emptiness. We are putting our trust and our hope in other things. If he's us to turn and to step into this life with him, we have to realize that we're actually, he's calling us to leave something. He's calling us to leave something, but he's calling us not not just to leave something, he's calling us to, to be empty, he's calling us to be filled, and he's calling us to be filled with what we were intended. He designed us. He made us. He knows what satisfies us. He knows what's rich food. He knows what brings us joy, satisfaction, hope, fulfillment, a sense of future and hope. He knows these things. And he is simply saying, come to me. Why? What are you, what are you doing? We have to recognize that because we have to leave something, it means we are trying a different way. We're trying to fill ourselves in a way that isn't designed that God did not design us to. So that obviously takes us to the famous explorer, Wilm, Wilhelmer Stephenson. <laughs> He's not famous, which is why you don't know I just butchered his name. And uh, he was an explorer in the early 1900s. Um, he lived with... Eskimos, um, Inuits in Alaska, northern Canada, so northern um, North America, so early 1900s. He went on these crazy expeditions. And um, he, he probably was the first keto fan. And I'll explain that for a second. I don't think they had CrossFit, but he was into keto because he experienced the Eskimos. And he, one of the things he contributed was uh, dietary information. And so he studied the diets of these people. And he saw that they eat they mostly meat, including a lot of fat. And so he was adamant. These guys are healthy. All they need to live on is fat and meat. And so they did, and they did a good job. But he ran into an issue when he um, did some explorations where in North America where there was only rabbits to eat, he ran into something called rabbit starvation. You all have heard of rabbit starvation, right? Rabbit starvation is not where rabbits starve. Um, In fact, it was where the humans living in this area had only access to rabbit. And because it was such lean meat, they experienced this weird phenomenon where their bodies could not process the energy correctly. And because there was no fat, because it was all protein, things went wrong. So let me read his explanation of what happened A diet of lean meat, everything was different. We had an abundance of rabbit. We would boil up huge quantities and stuff ourselves with it. We ate so much that our stomachs were actually distended, much beyond their usual sides. But with all this gorging, we felt constantly hungry. It said, without fat or carbohydrate, it makes no difference the quantity of meat ingested. He will, uh, he will become hungry after every meal and lose strength or become ill. So, rabbit starvation. Eating as much as I possibly can. We, we have plenty. And never, ever, ever coming to a sense of satisfaction. And even becoming ill. And I just, I just have to feel that we have all experienced that in our life. And either we're experiencing it now or we'll be tempted down the road to, to not recognize what's happening when that's happening. But when it's happening, I think God would want to speak to us that there, there is hope, that he loves us and he knows. He knows what we were meant for. He knows how we were made. And so I just want to ask if you felt that before, if you gone back to the same well over and over and never been truly satisfied. Jesus sat at a well once with a woman, and he offered her living water that would satisfy. I think Isaiah 55 is talking about the same thing that he offered the woman at the well. The living water that doesn't go dry, that doesn't need to be refilled, that becomes actually a spring inside of us. Actually, it wells up in us, and it flows out into the world around us. And the things that, God, that we want to see God do in our life, that we have maybe even strive to do, happens when we come to Jesus and drink. But what's interesting, um, when Jesus talked to her, he said in verse um, 14 of chapter 4 of John, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what was Jesus's response to the woman? Because the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water again. And Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come. He knew her heart. And if we remember also the rich young ruler, um, when he approached Jesus, he said, what do I get to do to get eternal life? And Jesus saw his heart and he said, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor. Because when Jesus calls us to that life and and God invites us to this feast of abundance, to be in his presence, loved and accepted, he is going to call us to leave something. And so he called the woman at the well and she answered and she responded. And many people were saved because of her. So left to ourselves, we scratch and claw at comfort Uh, Lust, self-image, wealth, security of money, praise from others, ministry, success, and the list goes on. We eat and we eat, um, never being satisfied until God breaks in. He knows how he's made us, and he doesn't call us to repent to make us empty, but to fill us. Um, there's There's a very old book. It's hard to read, but it has some good nuggets on it. It's called The Expulsive Power of New Affection by a guy named Thomas Chalmers. And he says, the love of the world cannot be removed by a mere explanation of its worthiness. But may it not be supplanted by the love of something that's far better. And we know of no better way by which to keep the love of the world out of our hearts than to keep in our hearts the love of God. And so when Jesus calls us to abide in the vine, when he calls us to abide in himself, he says, abide in my love, abide in my love. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And so God is explaining to us that all these things that we want in our lives, he, he has them. And even if we desire and want to live a life pleasing and fruitful to God, he is actually calling us first to come to him to be filled up. And apart from that, we will not display the fruit that God desires. It has to be him. And this is the invitation from God to lay down those other affections and find a better one. And delight yourself in rich food. His call for us is to experience the life and life abundant that Jesus came to bring. One of the things that can be a little bit difficult in this this whole um, call to this beautiful feast that God gives us is we're, we're immediately probably in our hearts and our mind raising objections to it. We we have some some ideas around. Hey, isn't isn't following following Jesus? Didn't he promise some hard stuff? Didn't he promise some suffering? Did he say it, it would be easy? Um, and the difficult thing uh, behind truth is is a lot of times it's held in in things that two things that seem to be opposite. Um, and we know when Jesus came, he he came saying, if you're weary and burdened, heavy laden, come to me and find rest for your souls because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. But then we know Jesus said, follow the narrow way. The narrow way is hard and difficult. The way that leads to life is not easy. The way that leads to destruction is wide and it's easy. So we have to ask ourselves, what, what's going on here? How, do, how, does, this, how does this reconcile we have to also, we just have to recognize that um, it is both. But in a we might not readily recognize in that when he calls us to this good life, the life of, ab- of abundance, it will butt up against our sinful nature hard. He's asking us to follow him. And there will be always constantly that, in, that flesh in ourselves that wants to take the easy way, that doesn't want to forgive that doesn't want to fight this sin, that doesn't want to be honest about this small little thing. I don't want to do that. But Jesus is calling us to life and life abundant, yet we know that we're going to suffer when we walk into that. And the best way that, that's helpful for me to, to that I heard um, a quote is in this explanation of, you know, what is this way that God's calling us into, easy or hard? Um, there's a quote that says, um, if we think it's hard, you think it's hard to love your enemies, look what happens when you hate them. And so I would, I would keep going on that. We think it's hard to resist lust. Look what happens when lust runs wild. We think it's hard to love those who hurt us. Look what happens when we hold on to bitterness and we let it roll in our hearts and, and, and hang on to us. That's the hard way that's the way to destruction that's the way that god is pleading with us to step into life and to follow me will not be easy because it'll it will confront you in those places he'll confront us in those places of repentance but we have to recognize in those places and in that call that the the burden and the lightness of following him we see the results we can see it we can see it in our own lives we can see what happens when we don't trust Jesus and we don't believe him. We know the way and he's, prom- he's told us that, that that would happen. So we need to recognize and admit to God, I think, and to others, the places uh, where, where we're suffering from rabbit starvation. Where we're eating and we're eating and we're not coming to any satisfaction, any fill, but we still keep going back. Recognizing that, telling God about it and coming to him with other people sets us free. And God truly in this whole thing is about our freedom and about our joy. So one thing um, when when we look at this, one thing that's also difficult is we hear, at least, and this this is what happens for me as well. When I hear this good news that God wants me to delight in rich food. He wants me without money, without price, without anything to offer him, step into life and life abundant with him and his kingdom here and now. I I just, I can't conceive of how that's going to happen. I've got issues. People have hurt me. I have addictions. I am just too busy and I, and I can't, I don't have time to see if that's true, right? There's a lot of things going on there. Um, what, what we need to realize is and if I could say it in a loving way, is that it it is not our job to understand how God is going to accomplish these things before we come to him, before we step out in faith and trust him. And it's not God's job to explain to us what the abundance, what this feast will look like here and now before we come to him. He's asking us simply to trust him and to come to him because we know his heart We've come to understand that this is the good God that we're talking about, that Isaiah 55 is not telling a fairy tale, that we were actually designed in a certain way to be connected to a mission, a vision that is so much bigger than ourselves, and that resonates with the core of who we are. We were made this way, and we're made this way from our creator who's telling us this stuff, who's speaking us, who's coming to the Israelites in Isaiah and saying, "What, what are you doing? Come to me, don't don't go to those places. And he's doing the same thing to all people because when Jesus came, he opened up the door to this feast. He opened up the door to this party um, in for everybody. And what's so cool about the kingdom of God is throughout scripture, probably the most frequent imagery of the kingdom of God given is a feast. It's described so many times as a banquet, as a feast, as a get-together where there's good food, where there's good wine, and where there's good company, and where there's fellowship with one another. Fellowship in reality, to know one another, to delight in one another, and to have God at the center of it all. And the, and the cool thing about all of this is he invites us into it now. The kingdom of God is here and now, and so we can taste of it. But our hope for heaven is that we can experience it now in reality here, not the fullness of it, Because the fullness is coming one day with Jesus. But until we trust God, we step away from those other things and start to experience the joy and peace and righteousness of his presence through the Holy Spirit, we won't be excited for heaven. We won't be excited for his kingdom to come until we start to taste of his kingdom here and now. And when we start to taste of his kingdom here and now, and that it delights us with rich food and satisfaction and fulfillment We will be looking forward when Jesus comes back and makes it all new. When we connect with the vision of what God is doing with this world, it changes everything. And I think that's what Isaiah is describing here. And I think what he's also doing is removing all obstacles. And I want to get to that. But first, we're going to read through three, verses three through five. Incline your ear and come to me hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you did not know, and a nation that you did not know shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This is speaking of Jesus, and it's speaking about that this is, um, even Paul in Acts 13 is, uh, uses Isaiah 55.3 as a reference to Jesus. That as David was a picture of the Messiah that would lead Israel, Jesus is our perfect picture of our leader and Savior. And he's perfect because he rose from the dead. And he's alive. And he's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere and we can trust him to lead us into this life. And now, even in verses 4 and 5, we're on God's mission now. We're not building our own little kingdoms. He's actually going to call nations that don't know him, like he did for you and I. We're not Jewish. So he's going to call the nations that did not know him to the life and abundance that God brings. And so he not only delights us in his presence, but he sets us on mission for his glory, That we wouldn't just be builders of our own little kingdoms, but that we would see his kingdom and desire that all nations would come to him. Whether in South Sudan or all the nations that live here in in Houston, Texas, they're all here. And so he invites us into that as well. And I want to keep going because, again, I said I bit off more than I could chew. And it's true. Verses 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are my ways your ways declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He removes all obstacles because if we've made an absolute mess of things, he stands to say that he is the type of God who loves to pardon. He loves to forgive. And I was even telling Randy this years ago when we were talking about it. um, I had an experience one time, it has only happened to me a couple times, where I read this verse and it jumped out to me in a way that I'd never read it before. Because I read... Verse 8 in a different way. I read it in the context of verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord, let the wicked forsake his way, unrighteous man his thoughts, let him return, so that God can have compassion, for God will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. God's not like us. He loves to forgive. He's not like us. We don't wake up in the morning, to, oh my maybe one of my enemies is gonna want to be forgiven, and I get to just throw a party for him and, and embrace him and a hug. He isn't like us, and that is such good news. In our sinful nature, we hold resentment and bitterness. And God is not begrudging. When we failed him, when we've sinned time and time again, he isn't begrudging. He delights to forgive. And so it is in, incredibly important. To know in the light of all of this, that's the type of God we're dealing with. Because, especially if we talk about repentance, if we don't see God like this, if we don't see a God who loves to forgive, wants to welcome his enemies in, and who wants to throw a party for us when we've returned and we've turned, even the slightest turn back to him, that he would, with a smile, look and say, Ah! In fact, when we talk about desire, how we're made with desire, I know one thing that God desires. He loves, he desires sinners to come to repentance. Luke 15 says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He is not like us. It is better than we can imagine. And when we start to take hold of that and we start to actually believe that that's true about God, things start to change for us. We don't stay and wallow in our failures. Man, I have been there a million times. We don't stay in just miserable, woe is me. We recognize our Father welcomes us who opens arms and says, let's go. I've got plans for you. We've got good things to do. We're gonna go destroy the works of the enemy and bring people into this feast. Are you ready? You wanna go? You want to come? Okay, a few. That's good. So the conclusion is this. Um, God has taken care of everything to enter his feast. If we have made an absolute mess of things, or we have been holding on to areas of our life that are are not surrendered to God, he speaks verse 6 and 9 to us. He speaks that he loves to pardon, he loves to forgive. If we feel like we have nothing to bring and we're not worthy of his feast, he says, you don't need to bring anything. Your award-winning potato salad isn't going to cut it at this feast. I've said, come without money and without price. Don't come with anything. I've taken care of I-, I don't have clothes. This is a nice bank. This is a nice bank. I don't have any here. Take this robe. I'll put this robe on you. And we, we need to recognize, though, it didn't cost us anything. That robe is white because it's been drenched in the blood of Jesus, and it costs God so much. It costs Him so much to open the door to this banquet. And at great cost to Himself, though we didn't want it, weren't desiring of Him, didn't care about the things of God, He opens up a way. That's what God is like, that's what He does. There is no entry fee. Nothing stands in our way. Nothing. No sin for today, no sin of yesterday. No weakness, no hurt that you've experienced. No, nothing stands in the way for us to step into this place with God. But I do want to read one more thing. One thing that I do think is the prerequisite that does stand in our way. And I think we find it in verse 1 of Isaiah 55. But we also find it at the very end of our Bible. I'm going to try to make this quick, but I think this is one of the most important things. Revelation twenty-two seventeen 17 says, and this is three verses before the end of the Bible. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. In Isaiah 55, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without price, without money, without price. We see in Isaiah 51, 55, one, and we see it in Revelation 22. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who is thirsty come. I think one of the biggest difficulties for us in this culture and the situation where we live is simply a lack of thirst. We don't desire God because we've got everything we need. And it's those people that Jesus went to that he found himself in company with, they didn't have a lot going on for them. They were kind of the outcasts and they were the ones that didn't have a lot and he came to them. And I think part of the reason was he saw that they were thirsty. And Jesus said, in fact, I come to preach good news to the poor. So he tells a a parable in Luke 14. And I want to read this and then we'll end. But he said to him, a man once gave, and this is Jesus speaking, a man once gave a banquet, surprise, it's a banquet, and invited many. And at the time for the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field, I must go out and see it, please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry and he said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. I just want to ask, which one of those excuses given would we consider a sin? Something on the list of sins that we that we're pretty comfortable we know we can list off I've bought a field I must go out and see it I've got five yoke of oxen I go to examine them I've married a wife and therefore I can't all good things these are all good things but he had to go out into the streets of the city to find the blind the beggar and the lame because they were they would be thirsty they would be ready they would be willing to come to a feast. They weren't preoccupied. And I think one of the biggest things is that we can easily be preoccupied by the things of this world and not understand that God is calling us to something so much better than the busyness of this life. We can have all those things. I don't know if you have oxen. If you have oxen, that's cool. It's weird in Houston, but that's great. If you have oxen, if you have a business, or if you have lots of things going on, You can have God at the center of that, living in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, in the kingdom of God, and all of those things serve that purpose. But these people had prioritized these things, and this is where they found their life. And we can look at it and be like, that's so small, so small compared to what God offers. But I think that we do the same thing. But. In all of these things, I want to end with where we started, with hope. And as I prayed about this sermon and I sat and I asked God, I asked him, what is the central message of this that I'm doing? What is is the central message? And I felt pretty clearly from him that I heard the phrase that there is hope. And I think that is resoundingly what he would want us to take away. It is what I would want you to take away. That there is hope for the broken and the weak those with nothing to offer but the wounds that they've been given. There is hope for the sinner who's made a mess of things and failed again in the same ways. There's hope for those who realize they're pretty satisfied with what the world offers and are settling, but they want to desire the things of God. They want to desire God above those things. There is hope for those that are hungry and thirsty for more of God. For more of what is promised in this message. And maybe you've been seeking and you feel discouraged by what you haven't seen from God yet. What the enemy would want to say to all of us tonight is you've tried that before. It didn't work. Go about your business. Satisfy yourself with those other things. Don't don't pay attention to this. You've tried that before. But God says, expect more out of me if we don't have the image in our mind of God as a generous host of a banquet in the middle of this broken world with all of our hurt, all of our suffering, all of our difficulties, that he can meet us in the middle of all of that. If we we don't start there with the the faintest glimmer of hope that that's possible, we won't come to him. And that's the point of it all. He is asking us not to figure it out, not to come with something to bring him, but to simply come to him simply to step forward, recognizing that all of this happens by the Holy Spirit. There is no other way that this happens, but that God encounters us because he knows us intimately. He knows what we need. And he is a loving father, a God who is not like us, who loves to forgive and loves to welcome us in. There is hope because he has promised if we seek him, we will find him. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are promised that they will see God. And the true conclusion is God has to do everything, but we must first come to him first. And wherever he's speaking, that there's some things that you need to leave behind. There's some things you need to step away from. Recognize that this is the God who loves to see us come to him. And I think... What I would want us to all step away with an image of is that prodigal son who had spent everything, sinned his life away, didn't have a penny to his name. He thought, ah, maybe I'll just go home to the father. Maybe he'll accept me as a slave. Maybe he won't. It's my last chance. I got nothing else. And he takes that turn and he comes down the road, maybe with his head held low, and he looks up, maybe expecting to see his father on the porch, but his father's running. With tears in his eyes, his father's running and smiling and coming to embrace him, clothe him with a robe and throw a feast, throw a banquet for his son who was lost. We simply must come. So one thing I wanna do different um, tonight is the first song, uh, Don't Stand Up and Sing. That's easy, right? I'm telling you not to do something. So don't stand up and sing. Um, they're gonna play a song. Um, but just sit and just sit with and whatever God wants to speak anything that the Lord is speaking allow the Holy Spirit to speak in recognizing that he is tender and compassionate and he wants so much for us and so when we um, step into that place take your time there's going to be music playing but then there's going to be words that are sung and I just want you to stop and just let God speak if you want prayer don't wait so we're going to have everybody, prayer team can come up, um, but we're going to have a prayer team up here as well. Um, during this first song, if you know that God's asking you to come up and get receive prayer for something, uh, don't wait for that. There's so much power when we pray together. When we pray together here, there's so much that gets done. So don't wait for that, but just sit and allow the Lord to speak on this first song, and I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the chance. Um, to talk about you and what you're like. Um, I pray that your word um, would take root in our hearts, um, that there would be um, a place of softness in our hearts to receive from you. I ask that you would destroy the lies of the enemy, the the lies of the enemy that say, um, God cannot be trusted, that if I go, I'll experience the same disappointment as I have before. That if I come to Jesus, if I step into his presence, that I will be left empty. The opposite is true. And God, help us to see, help us to believe. Let faith grow in this place that you want to meet us. And you are going to do more than we could ever imagine. You're going to blow away our expectations. So I ask, Father, that we would um, we would. Sit here with the image of a a God who would run to us, who would run to greet us when we've made a complete mess of things, and a God who loves to heal and loves to set us free on mission for him, to see his kingdom come, his will be done in Houston, Texas, as it is.